2 Corinthians chapter 5 from verse 11. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it's also plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than in what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favour I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. Thanks, Julie. Good morning, everyone. I will try to refrain from jokes about being up too early. Uh, Things like that. It's great to see you. Um, We'll be in the Bible a minute, so don't put that too far from you. Um, But I've got a slide to show you, which is going to come up shortly. There we are. Uh, Just to get you thinking, to have a look at that... um, And think about Grace Church and whether that applies. Um, Can we have the next slide, please? Have a think about yourself. We are in a world which is full of people drowning and going to destruction. And we do have choices about how we live. And we could, if we wanted, narrow it down to a... Some sort of choice between sitting on a deck chair and taking life easy and ignoring what is going on out at sea where people are perishing or getting involved in rescue and saving people. We have that choice today, don't we? We have that choice as a church. We have that choice individually. Um, Hence this series on evangelism and mission. And if we're honest... I don't feel very equipped to speak on this because I find myself more in the deck chair than in the helicopter rushing out to rescue someone. 
and I suspect some of us here today do. Um, but nevertheless, we have God's word. We have, we have instructions. We have an example. We have Jesus who died to save people, and we have a gospel. And so we're going to think about that together today. Um, it is possible to be at all at the same time with personal evangelism, indifferent and scared and too comfortable and distracted and somewhere keen but we don't know what to do all at the same time it's it's very hard um, so before we get on i think it'd be good to pray so let's pray dear father god it's a daunting task and we feel like weak people but we thank you that your word is true and we thank you that the gospel is powerful and we pray for encouragement and strength as we look at your word together. Please come and speak to us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we've launched into 2 Corinthians 5. Um, you may notice as we go through, there's an awful lot in there. We're not going to cover every verse. And there's maybe some things you think, why didn't we mention that? If so, come and tell me later um, but we will cover what we cover um, and i will give you some context corinthians are letters from an apostle to a church who aren't sure whether he's a very good apostle who aren't sure whether he's impressive enough who aren't sure whether his message is good enough who frankly need to be convinced that the gospel of jesus christ is powerful and effective and you don't need anything else um, so paul is defending himself and his ministry he has a ministry to the gentiles he has a ministry of mission but he has to defend it because the corinthians aren't convinced that's the big context um, the shorter context put your eyes down to your bibles now and find verse nine nine and ten this is Paul's mission in life. When he says we, he means Paul and the people with him. We make it our goal to please him, that's the Lord, whether we're at home in the body, that's here, or away from it, i.e. when you die and go to be with the Lord. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due to us for the things done while in the body. We make it our goal to please God, Paul says, because one day I will meet him. And I will give an account for how I've lived as a believer, as an apostle. And then carry on to verse 11. Because we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. Because we know what it is to face God and know that God is holy, and we are not, and we need a saviour. We know what that's like, Paul says, and so we try to persuade others. So that's the context for this passage. And there's a lot in this passage which shows us what drives Paul. Because in the end, evangelism, reaching out to people, like any other aspect of your Christian life, comes down to your drive, your energy, your dependence on God and your willingness to take risks and move forward. Um, so the things that drive Paul should be helpful for us and help us to go forward. Even if we're sitting here today thinking... I find it really hard, and I've not spoken to anyone of Jesus in the last 12 months, and I'm not convinced I will do it in the next 12 months. Still, the things 
that Paul says drive him should be an encouragement to us to say stop, don't be like that, take a risk, move (coughs) forward, go out to the world. Okay, Um, so that's quite a long introduction. There are only two points. You'd be glad for that. Uh, First point's coming up. Live for Christ. Christ Christ's love compels us. Verses 14 and 15, they're on the screen. I have a page turn at just the wrong place. I'll look over there. Christ's love compels us. What does that word mean, compel? To drive or urge forcefully or irresistibly. Hunger compelled her to eat. That's the example in the dictionary I picked. You know what it's like, don't you? You've been out all day, you skipped breakfast, you didn't really have lunch. You get home, you're absolutely starving. You don't need whoever in your home does the cooking, whether that's your mother or your husband or yourself. When you're that hungry, you don't need someone to say, look, John, eat your dinner, because you are compelled to. Your body is urging you to say, you must eat your dinner. I'm going to die here. Eat the dinner. As your stomach is saying it to you. Um, I don't know if many in this room this morning, there'll be more this afternoon, have got exams coming. If you're not the sort of person who's hyper-organised and you've been revising for exams since the first day in primary school and every day since, there may have been times when you thought, well, exams, that didn't matter. But as the time gets closer and closer and closer and you're two months away from GCSEs, and you're six weeks away, and you're four. As the time gets closer, you find the revision, rather than be, being the thing that you want to do but can't be bothered, becomes the thing that you have to do. Because somewhere in there, this feeling is welling up. There's an exam coming. I'm not ready. I'm going to fail. And, and you get to the point of compulsion and being driven to revise. At least I hope you do, otherwise you will fail. <laughs> if you're an athlete and you want the place in the Boston Marathon where they have times that you have to reach and you're really keen, you get to a place where you are compelled to go out training. You want that place so badly, don't you? You get up at four in the morning and go out for 20 kilometres run. You're you're full. It's not a nutcase. But you're driven. (laughs) Sorry, I hope there's no one here who does that. Um, You have a work deadline. You have a sermon to prepare. It's Sunday morning coming and it's Saturday afternoon. This wasn't me, by the way, this time. But Saturday afternoon is here and there's a blank sheet of paper and you are not going to do anything else until that blank sheet of paper is filled with some things that you can speak because that need compels you. You know you need to be there. You know you need to speak. You have to be ready. You're urged forward. So, for Paul, Christ's love compels him. Why? Next slide, please. Because... We are convinced that one died for all, which is wonderful, isn't it? We could go to John 3.16 and think about the love of God. The love of God who so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, his most precious thing, 
so that anyone who believes could have life. Jesus died for all. That's wonderful. But keep going. What's unusual in this verse? What we often have, let's say we have in Leviticus, is Jesus died so that we can be forgiven. The sacrifice was made so that we could be made holy. Jesus came to the cross so that we could be cleansed. But here he says, we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. Paul is compelled by the love of Christ because Christ died for all and all died. What's going on here? What's going on here is that Paul knows that when Jesus went to the cross, something new was happening to him. And something was happening to his old life. Okay, Jesus died, but we also died. In theological terms, it's the idea of representation. We very often talk about substitution, and, and we've been doing that in Leviticus, and it's absolutely right and wonderful. Jesus took our place because we couldn't face God's punishment. But there's something else going on on the cross as well. Jesus represented us when he died. So when he died, we died. When he died, I died. Obviously not me physically, I wasn't born when Jesus was born. But in the same sense that when Adam sinned, he represented the human race and all sinned. When Jesus died, we all died. And why is this helpful? Why does this compel Paul? Because Paul knows, he knows the sort of person he was before he met Jesus. He was against Jesus. He was against the church. He was doing all he could to destroy the church. But he knows that when Christ died, that Paul died and he's no longer who he is. And if we're sitting here this morning thinking, I bet that when I come out of hearing about evangelism, I'll be back in my old ways of feeling comfortable, feeling scared, frankly being lazy, that's me, not feeling like I've got anything to give. Paul says, no, that that life is not who you are. Okay? That is your old nature, which was nailed to a cross with Jesus. That is not who you are. So much of the Christian life that we struggle with is not knowing who we really are and what God has made us to be. And Paul, Paul knows who he is. He knows who he was, which was awful. He called himself the chief of sinners. But he knows that that was nailed to the cross with Jesus. He died there with Jesus. He's a new creation now. So just take a moment. Think in your mind about yourself and your evangelism, and your efforts to reach people with the news of Jesus. Which bits of you are failures in that and hold you back? For me, it's frankly fear. Fear of being criticised, 
fear that someone will think I'm a fool. That's the thing that holds me back more than anything. What holds you back? Well, I'm here this morning to say, if you're a believer, that is not who you are. God did not make you fearful when Jesus went to the cross to die for you. God did not make you fearful when he gave you his spirit to live in you. God did not make you incompetent and useless when he gave you his word to speak and Jesus to speak about. You are new people here this morning. Even if you don't feel like it, even if you feel like you spend 75% of your time, 90% of your time living the old ways, letting your old nature drag you down, that is not who you are. You are united with Christ. You are a resurrection person here this morning if you're a believer. And so you can go out and evangelise. You can go out and share the gospel. Even if you've spent far too long believing that you couldn't. That isn't true. You are new. You have been crucified with Christ. You have been raised to new life. I want you to get this this morning. I haven't got any tips for evangelism, by the way, this morning in this message. But I do want you to know that you are new in Christ. And he has everything you need. And so, moving down to verse 15 now, it is right and it is true and it is good when Paul says, Christ died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. We are new. Our old self, our selfish self that wants to be living for me, our lazy self that just wants to be comfortable, our fearful self that just wants to hang back, no, that's dead. And we can live for Christ who gives gives us a new life. The old ways, we're dead to them. We really are, even if we don't feel it this morning. The me, me is gone and we live for Jesus. If we understand who we are, we can start to live up to it. And in the, I think in the realm of evangelism and reaching out to the, with the gospel, it's the hardest thing to do as a believer. Fear, laziness, comfort, they're so, so compelling. There's only one thing that's more compelling... But it's wonderful. It's Jesus who died for us. We died with him who has made us new. Know this morning you are made new. And think about that love of Christ. Okay? And think too, down verses 16 and 17. Think about the world in which you live and how you look at people. What does Paul say because of this change? He says... We regard no one from a worldly point of view from now on. The old is gone, the new is here. Paul's had his eyes opened as to reality. There are two types of people in this world, frankly. There are believers in Jesus who have been made new, who will live forever in glory, who have everything. (coughs) And there are people who are not believers in Jesus who have nothing in the end. They may be the richest person in the world. They have nothing. 
There are two places to store treasure, aren't there? You can store treasure in heaven and it's there waiting for you. Or you can store treasure down here and moth and rust and your own death will remove it. There are two destinations. One of which we cannot even imagine how wonderful it is. The other of which we shudder at how awful it is. And everyone will either have everything or nothing and will either be wonderfully blessed or unimaginably cursed. You can be new. It's wonderful. The old will go. The old is not worth clinging to. The old us is not worth clinging to. The life we used to live before being a believer, it was not worth it. It's not worth going back to. It's not worth dwelling on. But that life, so many people outside this door are living and they think it's life and they think it's wonderful. But it will go. And it will either go through the message about Jesus taken out now, in the here and now, or it will go when Jesus comes to judge. Well, what should we do? We are new people. We've been given new power. We've been given a new life. And there is a world out there that's perishing. What should we do? Well, firstly, um, the application from this first point, we should remember who we are and we should remember what we're here for. So here's my application for you this week, if you want to. Verses 14 and 15. Go and learn them this week. That would be good for you. To help you know who you are and what you're here for. It was great for Paul. It's great for us. Okay, second point. If the love of God and the fact that we're new is enough to get us moving and give us drive... The other thing is that actually God's plan, in one sense, depends on it. It certainly demands it. God's plan demands that we speak of Christ. Verse 18, okay? Well, verse 18 to 20. Let's start with the first bit. Think about God's plan. Um, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them. Okay, Um, I've got a slide with a couple of summaries. Great. Who's an English lit student? Guess the play. The villain manipulates literally everyone. The tragic hero gets really jealous. Almost everyone dies. Go on, somebody. Pardon? Shakespeare? It's Shakespeare, it's Othello. It's probably several of Shakespeare. It's Othello I was thinking of. How about this one? Epic story of life, lost love and betrayal in Russia during the war. It's on my shelf. How many people here have got war and peace on their shelf? How many people here have never got to the end? Yes. Okay. But that's what you do with books. That's what you do with plays. You, you, you get the big picture and then you're ready to say this is what, this is what war and peace is. War and peace is an epic. It's Russia. That's all you need to know. You don't need to read it. Um, what's God's plan? 
This is God's plan for history. We really need to know this one. Problem. God was against mankind and we deserved it. We need to know that God was kind in the middle. He wanted to solve the problem. And we know the solution. We just said those verses. At the cross, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ by dealing with sins. The world was over here, deserved judgment. God was over here, holy. Christ came to bring them together. That's God's plan. That's a great plan, isn't it? That's what life's about. Um, But move on. Think about this. Move on back to those verses. Look at what God is doing so that that plan can actually work. That plan can actually take effect. Look what he says to Paul. Paul says, he has, God has committed to us, Paul, the message of reconciliation. And earlier he said, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. You see, that plan is not automatic. The world over here, God here, Christ came, God sent him. But actually now what we have is a world out there and Christ here and the gospel. And the gospel needs to go to the world so that the world can come to Christ and be reconciled. On on the cross, Jesus did everything to bring mankind back to God. But still, there is a message that needs to go out and people need to trust in Jesus. They need to hear that message. So that's the plan. And if you look at the last couple of points, that's where we come in. We don't come in at the cross, do we? We know that. We know that in Leviticus. We know we needed a perfect sacrifice. We know that we needed someone who had never sinned, who lived an obedient life. Someone, who Hebrews tells us, can enter heaven with his own blood to make actual atonement that really works. None of us could do any of that. Jesus had to come and die. No one else did that. But his people need to share the gospel. People need to be converted and saved. People need to put their faith in Jesus. I was having dinner with a friend yesterday. We were around at their house. He said that on June, I think, the 20th, is his 50th anniversary of believing in Jesus. Which is wonderful. He's 61. He's had 50 years of being a Christian. But if he hadn't heard the gospel from somebody when he was age 11... He would not be sitting here, age 61, rejoicing in Jesus, would he? He needed to hear. Paul needed to be sent as an apostle. Christians through history needed to go places where the gospel hadn't been heard. And today, for us, there's places we need to go. Because no one else can. Because no other Christians are there. Did you know that on average, for every household with believers in in Worcester Park, there's about 30 who haven't got any believers in them. 
That means as you're sitting here, think of your household. You've got 30 other households, on average, to reach with the message of Jesus. Because no one else will. You've got people down your street who know no no Christians other than you. Some of us have got workplaces with no other believers other than us. We have family members, lots of people around us. We need to play our part. We've been given our part. I hope you get that. We are needed by God. Not in a needy sort of way, if you see what I mean. He can do everything. He has all power. But he has chosen to put us in his plan and say, I want to reach Worcester Park. And you lot here, you're my people and I've made you new and I've given you the spirit. You're not impressive. You're really not all that. But God has given you everything. He's given you himself and he says, I am with you. Go and reach Worcester Park. Go and reach Sutton. Go and reach Stoneley. Go and reach your neighbours and your friends. and your fr- Speak of them. Because if you don't, no one else will. Yeah, that we're needed to do. We need to do that. But also, do you see how privileged we are? Back to the passage, verse twenty. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Do you know what a privilege it would be to be an ambassador for the United Kingdom? Now, you, you may not think the UK is all that great in the world anymore, but it's still a great country. And do you know what an ambassador does? They go to another country and they represent the country. And they represent the government and they represent the king. So when the ambassador, to, ambassador of the UK to Ghana goes to the high commission or the government, it's as though the UK is on his shoulders He is the UK in Ghana as he goes and talks to that government. What a privilege to represent. Well, when you're the ambassador reaching, speaking to your neighbours of Jesus, it's like Jesus is speaking through you. It's as though Jesus were present. Isn't that a privilege? When you speak of him, Jesus is present, you represent him. And when they see you in your workplace trying to live as a believer with patience and kindness, they see the king, they see Jesus. And when you speak, you speak for Jesus. Now, we shouldn't waste our words, we're ambassadors for Jesus. We speak for him, why waste our time with foolishness when there's wonderful things we could be saying? And of course, in times of war, you go and you offer terms of peace. And we speak for the king who owns the universe and will one day bring all kingdoms down and under his rule. And so we go and we say, our king offers you peace. Our king, one day, if you don't take these terms, will crush you. But in the meantime, we come to say he wants to bless you. He wants to bring you to himself. He wants to give you peace. We go and speak as ambassadors. Grace Church is God's embassy in Worcester Park with other faithful churches. We are ambassadors for the king. That's a wonderful thing. And don't you think, if the UK government can build their embassies and have officials and... Give them all the stuff they need to work in Ghana and Uganda or Brazil, wherever the, the 
the embassies are. Do you not think that God who owns the universe can give what his ambassadors need? Christ has reconciled the world. He's done that. He's given us the spirit who made this world, who lives within us. The spirit who brings life from death. And he's given us this gospel message which changes the world. There are billions of people today who are believers in Jesus because the message come to him with your sin and find forgiveness and new life and understand that God loves you and wants to bring you into his family. That's enough to bring billions of people to life. Isn't that wonderful? And he uses ordinary people like you and me here today. So let's be encouraged. We don't look much. We don't feel much at all. God has given us a part in his ministry of reconciliation. He's given us the gospel. He's given us each other. Let's pray for help. Shall we pray together? Father God, thank you that you're good and you're kind. Thank you that you've given us a message and you've given us Jesus. And that is enough to be evangelists. Please help us believe that, I pray. Give us the strength to encourage each other. In Jesus' name. Amen.